Hello and welcome to Beyond the Blind. I'm your host, Jack Colombo, here with my guest host, Christian Brands. Hey guys. Today we're going to be giving you an overlook of early season goose hunting, giving you some tips and some tricks for scouting and gear and what you need to know and what your tactics are going to want to be. Um, so, first kind of question, big thing, why why is scouting important? Yeah, great place to start, Jack. Um, scouting for waterfowl in particular, obviously we're talking about geese specifically today, but scouting is so important with waterfowl because they're constantly on the move. A lot of the other things we hunt, like deer and turkeys, have kind of a small home range, and you can count on seeing those animals in the same place maybe even year after year. They don't move around all that much, but waterfowl in contrast, are constantly moving. They're migratory birds. They're migrating through the area. Even if they're local birds, they're moving around to different roosts and food sources a lot of the time. So those birds are always moving. We as hunters have to be on the move as well. We can't control things like weather and what crops are planted and things like that that might move those birds around. It's just out of our control. So what we need to do is make sure we're following those birds, knowing their flight patterns and where they want to be so that we can be in the best position for success when we go hunting. Yeah, for sure. And um, kind of, yeah, on the same topic, scouting. Um, today, Christian and I were out at, um, scouting, and we saw this giant feed of, what was it? Four? It was nice. It was like four or 500 birds. Definitely a good-sized feed for our area in September. I, I don't think I've seen one that big. For sure not this year. Yeah, and even like in our area, in mid-season, like I've never seen personally a feed that big. Yeah, around really here we, big... we tend to have smaller feeds, so that was a big one. But, sorry, back on the point, enough drooling over the giant flock of <laughs> geese. But um, my point was that these geese are all coming here from the same roost, probably, or roost similarly close. Mm-hmm. So it's important to know where these birds are roosting. you got to find those big lakes. So you find where these geese are ro- roosting. What's the next step? Yeah, so like you mentioned, that's usually my first kind of go-to step in scouting is locating where the birds are roosting or even just where I feel like they might be roosting. Um, Back when I first got started goose hunting, uh, I kind of just, on my own that is, I had been out a little bit with other people who knew what they were doing, but when I decided to kind of strike out on my own, uh, I didn't really have an area to start in, so I just went on Google Maps and I looked kind of within half an hour to an hour's drive of my house and I looked for the area with the most lakes in the smallest area that I could find. And that was maybe kind of a novice move. I could have been looking for some other things too, but I actually did find a lot of geese that year. It set me up pretty well for success because the more water is close by, the better odds you're going to have of finding geese that are roosting on that water and feeding close by. So if you're just brand new to goose hunting on your own, you're looking for a spot, uh, start looking around where there's a lot of lakes, where there's a lot of even smaller slough-type water. Um, Those places will hold geese, and then from there you can follow them out to the feed and hopefully find a field where you can hunt those birds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so now picture you got your feed. uh, Sorry, your feed. Your roost. You find your roost, and you want to know where these birds are going, so you Mm got to find the X. Yeah. What are your steps that you take to find the eggs? Okay, so you found your roost. You're maybe looking at some birds out there some afternoon, whenever you're out there. Um, I like to, my preferred method of scouting, if I have my schedule clear and I'm just focused on scouting, what I like to do is go out to that body of water early in the morning before the sun comes up, before the geese are moving, 
and I want to watch those birds, see where they take off, see where they fly, and then follow them out to that first field that they feed at. Usually that's going to be what we call the X, where the birds are really doing the majority of their feeding where they really want to be. Uh, and that's where we want to be as hunters too for the best chance of success. So for finding the X, find that roost first. That's, that should be the main priority usually. Um, and then follow those birds out to the X. That's the easiest way to find it. Uh, usually you'll get a nice flight of birds, like multiple flocks that you can kind of just follow out there. Uh, sometimes it gets a little dicey if you're on gravel roads that wind around and such, or you lose them behind a tree line or something like that. Uh, but just keep looking, you'll find them eventually, hopefully. Uh, usually, um, you know, you'll, they'll be visible from the road and you can find out where those birds are going down. If not exactly, you can kind of know the general area. Um, satellite maps are definitely your friend here, kind of seeing the terrain and where they might be going down if they are landing out of sight. Um, another thing is you can definitely scout kind of in reverse order backwards, um, driving just down gravel roads, uh, out in the country, wherever you see the most fields. Um, if you know it's near an area where you've seen geese in the past, where you know the, the birds like to be, um, that's something I'll often do. Like if I have kind of a route that I like to drive where there's a lot of fields I've seen birds in, I'll just go down those roads, watch for the flocks, and then follow them back to the roost after dark in the afternoon. Um, and then I'll know both where they're feeding and where they're roosting. It just came out at a different way, kind of going working in reverse order. So uh, those are a couple different ways to find the roost and find the X. And then once you've done those two things, you can kind of connect the dots. Um, if you can't get permission to hunt on the X exactly where the birds want to be feeding, and that's something we'll talk about a bit later, um, what you can do is try to position yourself either between the feed and the roost or somewhere really close to that feed where you can hopefully bring some of those birds in with your calls and with your flag and with your decoys, even if that's not the main field they want to be landing in. So maybe now it's time to talk about asking permission, something that even experienced hunters get a little bit nervous about. Yeah, so um, asking permission, obviously a big thing. Don't go out in any fields that someone else owns and just start hunting. That will not go well. Yeah, probably not going to be hunting for a while because you're going to be in prison. But um, asking permission is definitely tough. A lot of um, hunters, I mean, it's off. It's often like a, um, um, what's the word? It's make, you're confined, not confined. You're, you're, it's kind of an introvert sport in some ways. You, you're alone in the woods for a long time. So it can, I understand how a lot of it can be hard. Just going up to some random person's door, knocking on the door, asking them if you can hunt on their land, you know, it seems like a big deal. It's really not. Lots of these people are used to these people coming. They understand that, yeah, it's part of it. You got to be able to, um, ask these people and they understand that, um, it can be awkward. So a lot of times they're very forgiving as far as that. Very true. I would say, and I've asked more permission than Jack just because I've been hunting waterfowl longer than he has, but I would say 95% of the people I've interacted with, landowners specifically, um, they've been super nice. And tonight we had an experience that was a little different than that. Um, that big feed we were talking about, we asked permission for it. And actually the people were, were pretty rude. Definitely one of the least pleasant encounters I've had with landowners in the past uh, or up till now. So... That was not a fun experience. It was pretty disheartening, especially to not get permission for such a good spot. But you just got to keep trying. Uh, the first couple times you ask permission, it's, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel forced. You're going to be nervous. 
it's always weird just walking up onto somebody's property and knocking on their door. You don't know them from anybody and it can be weird. Um, but most people are, are normal and they're really nice. I would say your odds are even better the further out of cities you get. There's just less competition. People tend to be a little bit more comfortable with, with shooting going on when there's more space between places. Uh, and we'll, of course, talk about safety with that later on, too. Yeah, for sure. And um, now, something you need to be able to expect is, um, you need to expect, sorry, um, you need to know if this area is safe. Again, safety, we're, we'll come back on this, but if you're going up to someone's door and you're about to ask for them permission, but you, but you don't know and you haven't checked out all the area around the field and it's completely unsafe to hunt there, it doesn't leave a very good impression. Agreed, 100%. That's something that I really preach on is like trying to, <coughs> excuse me, really make sure that your area is safe before you even ask permission. Um, I've saved a lot of time you know, need, not needlessly asking permission for places where it wouldn't even be safe to shoot a shotgun. Um, general rule of thumb is 500 yards, maybe 400 yards um, away from buildings in the direction you're going to be shooting. And then most states have laws about how close you can shoot to buildings, even if you're not shooting towards them. So for example, in Minnesota, it's you have to be 500 feet away from any buildings occupied by humans or livestock. So like barns, sheds, where people go into houses, uh, you got to be 500 feet away, or you need written permission. And sometimes, you know, that's something you can consider if there's no other way to do it. I try to steer clear of that and just stay 500 feet away. And then, obviously, you need to make sure you're shooting in a safe direction. Um, like I said, four to 500 yards, the direction that you're going to be shooting is, is plenty with a shotgun. Uh, sometimes people just don't understand that, and a conversation can fix that if you're talking to the landowner and, and they don't understand what you're doing. A lot of people's frame of reference seems to be, you know, slug hunting for deer or rifle hunting even. So just uh, sometimes friendly, sharing in a friendly way. Now, actually, just about four or 500 yards is how far shotgun pellets will travel. Um, that'll be enough to ease their mind. But yeah, definitely safety is paramount. Check that out ahead of time, uh, however you can do that. I use an app called HuntStand. It's got a distance measuring feature. makes it super easy. I can do it in five seconds on my phone right before I walk up to somebody's door and, and know that I'm going to be proposing a safe idea for the hunt. Yeah. So now you got the permission, you went to the awkward thing, you talked <laughs> to them. Um, now you've got that field locked down, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you expect? What can you expect? And what do you need to know to expect when you're actually going out to that field to hunt? Yeah, so once I get permission for a field, the next thing I'm going to do to get ready for actually hunting there is I want to scout that location in particular extra hard. Um, obviously, it's tempting to go look for more places with more birds uh, or things like that, and that can be important too. You need to have options, but if you have a spot that you have permission for, I highly recommend taking just some time right away as soon as you can to get familiar with that property, know where the boundaries are for sure. You don't want to be trespassing, um, know the safety as we were talking about, and then start thinking about what the hunt could look like. Uh, know how many birds you're dealing with if there are birds using that property actively. Uh, try to know what direction they're coming from. Uh, try to know where in the field they're landing, things like that. Uh, you can just sit and watch from the road oftentimes, or if you need to get way back into a, a bigger property, sometimes walking in. 
Um, also, just getting on your feet out in that property, taking a look at it from the ground, things can really look a lot different once you get back in there. So that's something Jack and I did today with one place we got permission for, just kind of taking a look back in there. We'd seen birds from the road on there before, but really trying to figure out exactly where they're landing based on the tracks and the scat and feathers and things like that. Uh, now we know pretty much exactly where they're most actively feeding, uh, which is always helpful. And then after you kind of know what the birds are doing at your spot, uh, start thinking about possible setup locations. You're just brainstorming ideas at this point. It doesn't have to be set in stone because it still could change depending on conditions on the day of the hunt. But you, what you really need is a strategy for where you're going to put your blinds, how you're going to hide in that spot, um, whether that's heavier cover, like taller stuff like corn stubble or uh, standing hay, standing wheat, something like that that you can put the blinds in, or whether you need to tuck them in a, a tree line or something like that. Um, if there's not a lot of cover, it's just a big open field or like... Oh, heaven forbid, like a, a plowed dirt field. Those are miserable to hide in, but there are still ways around that. Um, so one thing you can do that I've seen work really well actually is uh, even if you're just, if your blinds are just going to be naked in the middle of a field, uh, just grass them up like crazy, make it look like a big bush in the middle of a field of dirt. You see that all the time. It's probably not going to scare them as long as you do a really good job brushing those in. Um, Wind direction. Um, the day of the hunt, of course, like I said, this could change. The best forecast can go wrong, but uh, geese are always going to land into the wind. Uh, same with ducks, of course, um, especially if that wind is like more than 5-10 miles an hour. That can make a huge difference in how the geese approach. So, if you want to shoot them coming into land, as is always the goal, of course, uh, you really need to be planning for what the wind direction could be. Um, and just looking at the layout of that field, thinking about what you could do on the different prevailing winds the morning you go out uh, is really helpful to think about ahead of time so you're not trying to come up with a plan at the last minute. And then safety, as we mentioned, just making sure you're not shooting towards any buildings, any livestock, or roads, occupied areas, things like that. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, back on to the subject. Um, before... Back on the subject, talking to landowners, of course, before you go out to that field, like opening day, you're all ready, make sure you check with the landowner. It's not completely necessary because, like, you got permission, but it's it's important to check with that landowner because if they see that you're responsible, you're starting to build that relationship. Exactly. Yep, over-communicating goes a long, long way towards really, yeah, maintaining that healthy relationship with the landowner that will hopefully invite you back year after year into the future. Um, like Jack said, not totally necessary maybe to square everything away again if you've already talked to the landowner, but it's really helpful for them sometimes to know where you're going to be, how many people might be with you, when you're going to be hunting, of course what you're going to be hunting. Hopefully you've discussed that when you were asking for permission. Uh, and from your perspective as a hunter, it's nice to know if you can drive your truck out into the field, if there's a place you can or should or shouldn't do that. Um, it's always nice to check if you want to bring friends with you, if that's okay with them. Sometimes when you go and ask permission as a singular hunter, they may think that you're only coming back with yourself and you don't want to give the wrong impression there. So basically this is just, yeah, over communicating, making sure that, uh, the landowner clearly knows your intentions for the hunt because you're a guest on their property. So you should act like that. Uh, and hopefully that will result in a lot more hunting on that property for you in the future. Yeah, for sure. 
And um, so you got, you double check with the landowner. You're all ready. It's the night before you go out. What do you need to do to put that spot to the bed to know that the next day you go out, you're going to get geese? Well, that's the thing with hunting. They call it hunting and not shooting for a reason, right? Nothing's ever certain. But to be as certain as you can, as certain as you reasonably can be with goose hunting, uh, it's great to, like Jack said, put that to bed, uh, get out to that spot and take a look. Obviously, you don't want to disturb the birds at this point because if you scare them out the night before, they may not be back in the morning. But uh, scouting from a distance, you know, walk in a little ways and check them with your binoculars or just look from the road. Uh, try to figure out, you know, basically at this point, you're just saying, you're just giving yourself assurance like, hey, there are still birds in my spot. They're going to be back in the morning. It's all good. And nine times out of ten, you see them there the night before, they will be back in the morning. You're probably going to shoot some. So uh, just going to that extra mile of assuring yourself that your hunt is going to go well, um, that confidence can be really a game changer for you in the morning, knowing that those birds are going to be there versus just guessing based on your scouting from last week. Yeah. Now, that was scouting. We're going to give you a little bit of an overview here quick of what to know. Make sure that you know your, your birds roost, mm -hmm. their eggs, their flight paths. Make sure wherever you're hunting, you have permission. Absolutely. That's obviously a big one. Making sure you know what to expect so that the, the day you're there, you're not going there to know birds. Exactly. You know. Again, evaluating yourself so you know that morning where you're going to go. Checking with the landowner again. Putting it to bed. I'm just mm -hmm. going to call it putting it to bed because I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> so now we're going to kind of segue into gear. Gear is a big subject. Obviously, if you don't have the right gear, you're probably not going to get birds. Like, if you don't have a shotgun, how are you going to kill it? And besides that, like... Gear for waterfowl hunting can be extremely intimidating. Like, this stuff is expensive, and the guys who do a great job, like, have all of these things. It's tempting to think that you, as average Joe Goose Hunter, maybe going out for your first or second or third season, need to have all the best stuff and the biggest amount of stuff that you could possibly have. Um, and that's that's not necessarily true. Uh, you, but you do need a base level of gear in order to experience some success in most circumstances. So... That's what we're going to talk about with you guys, because we're guessing that, like us, you don't have unlimited money to spend on gear. You don't have unlimited storage space for all this stuff that you're devoting to your hunting. So, um, obviously, as Jack just mentioned, you need a gun. You need ammunition. You're not going to shoot anything without those. So let's start there. Um, we both shoot 12-gauge semi-automatics. Um, that can be a bit of a steep price point if you're just getting into the game, but I started out with a 12-gauge uh, Remington 870 pump, which was also a great gun for what it's worth. Um, just as a waterfowler, having the ability to shoot quickly and not needing that pump, uh, the half second that that costs you, can be actually a huge difference when that flock of birds comes in between shooting one or shooting three or shooting, uh, you know, a couple versus shooting zero. So uh, we find the semi-auto really helpful, but starting with a pump, totally acceptable, totally cool. Most people do that. Uh, as far as a shell, you're going to want to look for, well, your gun should be 12 gauge in the first place. And as far as a specific shell to shoot out of that, you're looking at something in the magnums most likely for geese, either a three inch or a three and a half inch cartridge. Uh, shot size, typically BB. We've used triple B in the past. Uh, but here's the thing with your gun and with your ammo, uh, you could have the best of each and it might not make a difference unless you know 
what that load is doing in your particular gun. Uh, of course, another variable with shotguns is the choke, uh, the amount of constriction in your barrel uh, that's tightening or loosening the pattern of your pellets downrange. So uh, something that's great to do that will help you immensely in your shooting and in knowing what load to use when you hunt is getting out ahead of time to pattern your shotgun. Uh, I just use a big piece of like brown uh, mailing paper, um, tape it up to a piece of board like 20-30 yards away. Uh, well, I shoot at a variety of distances, but about a 30-inch square of paper or circle of paper. Uh, just shoot right at the middle with your shotgun from however far away you want to start patterning from. Try a couple different loads and chokes and make sure you write that on that paper so you can compare later. And then change your distance. Um, I've done from 20 to 50 in the past, 20 to 50 yards, just to see the difference with the same load. And then I've also switched up loads and chokes to see um, kind of how that changes things. And I've, I've learned some things that have caused me to actually make some changes in what I use in the field for geese. Uh, I was shooting too lo loose of a choke and too large of pellets uh, when I first started hunting. So I've, I've made a change to a smaller shot size, uh, down to BB from triple B, which I think is better for most situations. And uh, I've gone to a modified choke from an improved cylinder, uh, which is giving me more pellets in the kill zone downrange so that I can bring down those birds and not wound anything. Yeah, and um, in case any of you guys are wondering, the guns we use, I use the Stogram 3000. Mm -hmm. Great gun for, uh, actually that's a really affordable semi-auto by the way, if you're looking for something, a way to get in into the game. Um, and I also shoot a Benelli Super Vinci, which is a little bit more on the pricey end, but um, yeah, those are the semi-autos that we shoot. Yeah. Um, but kind of just quick um, touch up on the Stoger. I um, I'm, I don't have a lot of money, but the uh, Stoger M3000, I got it. Mine, I paid a little extra for um, um, camoing. You don't necessarily need that, but I got a little extra. But it's around 600 for a semi-auto. It's a Benelli system. It's a great gun. If, you're mm -hmm. if you want that semi-auto, but you're not super into the, you know, $1,200 <laughs> price range like Christian's gun, then Stoger, definitely look at Stoger's. They're a great gun. Yeah, great affordable option. Yeah. Now, uh, we're kind of, we kind of um, talked about this a bit, but we're going to give you just a, another quick um, look into layout blinds, brushing them in, and knowing where to put them. Yeah, so layout blinds are far and away the most popular way of hunting geese and ducks in fields. Um, basically, the principle is just you have a kind of like a glorified sleeping bag. It's camouflaged. It's got stubble strips on it so you can jam all kinds of grass and brush in there to blend yourself into your surroundings. Um, that's definitely not the only way to hunt, though. If you can hide effectively in another way, uh, feel free to do that. Layout blinds can be expensive, but they are also the best and most versatile way to hide in that field and get you right where those geese want to be. Um, as far as positioning those, um, remember geese land into the wind and you're going to be arranging your decoys such that uh, hopefully you have some sort of a, a kill hole or a landing hole uh, within 10 to 20 yards in front of your blinds. Um, but there are also other setups that work well. Uh, for example, if you need to shoot only in a certain direction, if your shot angles are limited, uh, you may need to have the geese crossing and landing in front of you um, to the side of where you're going to be with your blinds. Uh, it just depends on that scouting, like we said, that you've done ahead of time, knowing what the geese are going to be doing, knowing uh, what conditions you're working with, and then adjusting for the wind conditions. Um, and then, yeah, blinds are important. Decoys are also important. You need something to draw those birds down to you. 
Um, I would highly recommend getting fewer quality decoys over a huge quantity to start. Um, people say or people think oftentimes, oh, you need full bodies, you need full bodies. Well, yeah, full bodies are great. They look awesome in the field, but they're hard to store, they're hard to haul, and they're expensive. So I would encourage you, maybe think about getting some full bodies, but maybe think about not getting full bodies. Think about shells, think about silhouettes. Uh, consider the portability factor as well as the price. Um, and you can get more decoys for less money if you go with uh, one of those other options other than full bodies. Um, but mixing a few different types of decoys is never a bad thing, gives you some flexibility in what kind of spread you're putting out there. And then you really need one, at least one, but definitely one good solid goose call. Um, when I first started calling geese, I started with a flute call. Um, Jack here started with a short read, so we're going to talk a little bit about the benefits of each of those now. Yeah, so yeah, like you said, we're just going to kind of give you a bouncing back and forth benefits between me starting with a short read, Christian starting with a um, flute. So I'll go ahead and start. I have the um, Dawn to Dusk, um, uh, what was it? Dawn to Dusk um, short read, goose call. Um, just honker Canadian, not lesser snow goose or something. It's um, it's a really it's it's a really great call. Short this call itself is a great call, but short reads, um, if you have a good quality one, they're they're a lot harder than flutes. But if you have a great quality one, it can make a fantastic sound. Mm -hmm. If you have a bad quality one, it's <laughs> it doesn't sound very good. Very true. That's pr that's pretty um, yeah. That's pretty much with all calls. But um, so it's a lot harder to start with. But if you start with that and you only know that, if you decide to move to other cars car calls, excuse me, it is going to be much much easier doing them. Um, Christian, I could give you a little bit about a short read. I mean, <laughs> flute. Yeah, uh, so the first goose flute I had was a Mick Lacey Black Magic, which was a, a great little flute. Uh, I don't know if it's produced anymore, but uh, that's what I learned on. Uh, the thing about flutes is it's easy to make a pretty basic goose sound. You will very quickly begin to sound like an actual goose when you pick up a flute and start practicing with it. Um, I feel that a short read takes much longer to learn to sound good on. Uh, that's been my experience, uh, although Jack picked it up pretty fast, I would say. Um, but starting with the flute, you'll you'll make some goosier sounds earlier on, which can feel great. Um, if you're just picking up a call now, looking to hunt this season, that is definitely the way I would steer you is toward a flute. Uh, now I use the uh, Sean Mann Eastern Shoreman, a fantastic flute. Great, um, great sometimes flute. flutes don't have a great range of different sounds, but this one really does. Uh, it also blows a lot easier than the first one that I started with. Um, that can be a, a thing to watch out for with flute calls is that they do take a lot more air and breath support um, just to make the same calls that a short read would. Um, and there, it's a lot harder to do fast notes in succession for a long time because of that. Um, so short reads have the advantage there, but I would say flutes are definitely easier to learn, easier to make the basic sounds with when you're just picking up a goose call. Yeah, and I also have the Sean Mann um, goose flute, um, but it's it's a great call. If you are interested, I definitely it's an expensive call, but it's great. So I definitely suggest that one. I also suggest the Dust Dawn, but. Um, like he was saying, there are, um, there, of course, there's the opposites of both. Like, mm -hmm. there are flutes that don't take much air. There are short reeds that do take a lot of air. Mine actually does happen to take a lot of air. But um, I think, honestly, 
I'm not trying to fight you. <laughs> but I think that um, when you, um, that the short reads have a little more versatility. And if you are looking for that challenge, because, you know, like lots of people like bow hunting, you could be rifle hunting, but it, sometimes people just like the challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. That is a good, um, short reads are good for that because they're definitely a lot harder. But there are um, definitely some goose um, short reads that you can um, have more versatility and you can. Uh, there are even, um, I believe there are some Canada Goose um, short reads that you can actually make um, um, cackling, crackling geese and snow geese with the same call. Hmm. So they it does have a little more versatility, but it is much, much harder to learn on. I would definitely, I think personally, I would say start with the short read. Hmm. I mean, start with the um, flute. I didn't mean short read. Okay. Because it's much, much easier to start. And if you, if you are more interested... In the um, in the long term, um, if you're in it for the long haul and you want to um, um, have that versatility right off the bat, and like I started in the in the like late winter, so mm-hmm. I had tons and tons of time to practice. If you were just jumping in, get a get a flute for sure. Definitely. Hey, I think we actually ended up agreeing on this. Maybe surprisingly, having uh, considered the fact that we've started with different types of calls ourselves. But I, yeah, I would say uh, a goose flute is a great tool for any, any goose caller to have on their lanyard, just a little different feel, a little different sound, um, and it's a great place to start, but most guys are going to end up going to a short read at some point. Uh, it's just the design is, is probably superior as far as uh, what it's able to do, uh, and the, the smaller size is kind of nice too. So uh, definitely, you know, think about either of those calls we mentioned, um, what you decide to do in your own calling journey is of course up to you, but those are our thoughts on the matter. Um, we of course have much, much more to say about early season goose tactics. We are running a little low on time for this episode, however, so we will be bringing you another episode soon where we talk more about tactics for that actual early season goose hunt. Now that you're all prepared with your scouting and your gear. Yeah. And after, uh, we get some more experience after a couple of our, Early goose season hunts will come back to you with stories and going to do selfless plug here on my own podcast. I don't know if that's a plug. Selfless? <laughs> self- <laughs> I don't Ish. know. Selfish. Um, but uh, make go- make sure to go check out my uh, YouTube channel. I'm going to be, I upload my first video Thursday, I believe. Saying stuff. Yeah, and it's, um, it was just, that's not an interesting video. It's just me telling you what is going to happen, but... If you're interested in seeing how our, uh, you know, first day of uh, um, opener is going to go, there will be an, um, a video of the opener up, um, not on Sunday. So, expect it within a week. But, um, yeah, so expect that. Also, um, we will uh, be um, giving you, I don't, is it next weekend? I think it's next weekend that uh no two weekends from now we're gonna be two weeks from now we're gonna be giving you an episode about um archery season for deer because that's coming up that starts on the 14th here in minnesota but that's just kind of a couple of announcements um so thank you all for listening um please tune in next time make sure um you uh Follow my Instagram page and I will give you lots of updates on when to expect episodes on both YouTube and podcast. Thank you all for listening.